the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. He is, of course, the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is an attorney in Cleveland. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist and a sometime um, uh, law professor as well, and he is Peter Kersenow. Pete, good morning. How are you, my friend? Doing great, Bob. Beautiful day in Cleveland. Yes, indeed, it is. All right, Peter, um, I don't want to repeat all of the numbers that I was just talking about with Steve because I know you're familiar with them. I just want to get your perspective on what you saw yesterday. Joe Biden is getting extraordinarily low approval numbers across the board, quite frankly, but specifically on individual matters like inflation. We found out that today inflation is at a new 40-year high of 8.5% computer price, uh, uh, excuse me, consumer, consumer price index uh, on uh, matters of, uh, of uh, immigration, but, but specifically on crime. He's well under 40%. Nobody trusts him. And yesterday, I think we saw why. His response to the rising crime rate, particularly violent crimes, shootings, and homicides, is to focus not on the criminals and not on the system that is supposed to protect people from them, but on the guns, specifically ghost guns. He spent a great deal of time at this big old press conference yesterday talking about ghost guns and how guns can be bought in little pieces and then assembled in any house, and then anybody can have a gun if they want to. I don't believe, Peter, that he has any earthly idea why the Second Amendment was written, what its intent was. And more than that, I think he's being disingenuous um, when it comes to trying to deal with this problem. He doesn't have a solution because the solution would involve dealing with members of a very important voting block of his. Uh, because the overwhelming number of these shootings, the overwhelming number of these crimes are being committed by uh, minorities who vote Democrat. So rather than identify them and call for tougher laws to to deal with that situation, he just wants to turn it around and say, guns, 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 guns. And you say what, Pete? Yeah, it's a charade. It's deflection. There's been, as you just indicated, and I, I understand you had a guest on, what was it, uh, Steve Loomis? You Steve had Loomis, yes, sir. Yeah, and he probably knows the stats even better than I do, but so I won't belabor that point. We all know there's been a significant crime spike, which you and I predicted two years ago at the advent of the George Floyd, uh, and I was on all over Fox talking about, yeah, here's what's going to happen. We can almost predict a percentage increase to, to, a, to a decimal point, and uh, we did. Uh, the fact of the matter is not one iota of the spectacular spike in crime is attributable to any kind of increase in the availability of guns. So this whole ghost gun, which, you know, I got to tell you, I don't even know what that is. My, my, my uh, understanding is the Democrats call any weapons that don't have serial numbers on them or if, if they've been manufactured, don't have serial numbers on them by individuals or if they've been filed off, they call them ghost guns. There's no indication whatsoever that there's a greater availability of so-called ghost guns or there are more commission of crimes 
with ghost guns. So this is a complete deflection. It's not being serious whatsoever. And you're right. He's between a rock and a hard place, not just on the crime issue, but so many things that have gone wrong in the last year and a quarter as an express result of Democratic policies. They said they were going to do A, B, C, and D. They did, and then as a result of doing those things, things went bad at the border with respect to crime, with respect to Afghanistan, with respect to inflation, you name it. You can take a straight line from one of their policies to some deleterious action that's occurring right now, and the problem is they still remain unserious, except for the fact that they know they're in dire electoral straits. Everyone understands it, everybody acknowledges it, and they have to do something cosmetically to deflect attention from their abject failures. So they're trying to convince people that they're being serious about crime, inflation, all these other things, when they're simply either doubling down and making the problem worse, or just deflecting and not paying any attention to it, and it's going to remain just as bad as it is right now. Either way, it's unforgivable. And on top of that, you know, Biden usually doesn't know what he's talking about. In this case, he knows precisely what he's talking about. This is a guy who's been involved on this issue, and usually he's been, well, for a while he was right. He was purportedly, quote-unquote, tough on crime. Um, And he's backpedaled from that because his core constituency, the AOCs of the world, they, they recoil from any kind of expression of law and order on the part of Democrats. They don't like that. You know, it's against the law to be, be in right. favor of law enforcement. So um, th- this is attributable directly to Democratic policies. It was predictable. We predicted it. Uh, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to predict this stuff. We saw it with George Floyd and then... There's so many things that they did to compound the matter. It's not just that they're unserious about crime and guns and everything else, but they took overt action, such as, uh, you know, they've installed prosecutors, they've installed other political figures, judges that are completely unserious about crime. In fact, they've got an ideological perspective, which they've derived uh, at least since law school. That says that the United States, because it's systemically racist, imprisons people because of racism. And these poor folks that are in prison, you know, they're political prisoners. They're not criminals. They're not rapists. They're not murderers. And what happens as a result, of course, but you know things are bad, Bob. When a couple of days ago, Al Sharpton, of all people, came out and said the Biden administration doesn't understand. He's not listening to the people in the inner city about the effect of, of crime on them. This is a guy who's throwing gasoline, meaning Al Sharpton, on a fire for I don't know how many years. He was the guy who was at the forefront of defund the police. And now he sees that he's on the wrong side of history, a phrase that the Democrats like to use all the time. And so he's doing a pivot, and you're supposed to forget that this is one of the primary arsonists when it comes to the crime increase. You're exactly right, uh, Pete. And... You know, you're right to identify the George Floyd situation as being the genesis of this new wave and this, um, you know, this exactly what we predicted, this this spike in crime and this uh, lack of policing. Of course, the calls to defund and abolish police certainly contributed that, too. But I think now the problem is less George Floyd and more George Gascon. It's more these left wing prosecutors, districts, district attorneys um, who who think that somehow, you know, through their weird sense of of, of, you know, moralistic uh, um, behavior, they they feel like they're doing something to 
undo the damage that was done in the pre in the Jim Crow era, uh, in the pre civil rights era. All of these things that were done, where minorities were given a short shrift and so forth, we can undo it all by not locking them up whenever they commit crimes. And and that seems to be the motivation behind him, behind uh, uh, Chesa Bodine in uh, uh, or Bowden Harvey said in uh, in San Francisco and in so many other places. These left wing Soros influenced, if not bought. Uh, prosecutors, along with left-wing judges giving lenient sentences, they don't want people to be put in jail anymore because it's not equitable. If you put the same number of people in jail who are committing the most violent crimes, you're going to have a very unequitable number of of, uh, of African Americans or of minorities in our jails and in our prisons, and that, of course, just cannot stand, Pete. Yeah, it really makes your brain hurt, almost literally, when you listen to what they have to say. These are people who have, and I don't think they really care that much about history, but they have no understanding of history. I don't think they've read history. Unfortunately, for the last 40 years, we've not been teaching history in a rigorous fashion, whether it's K through 12, and, you know, with some exceptions. I don't mean to paint a broad brush. Or, or just as importantly, in college and in law schools, there is an ideology and in education schools that, that is developed that is, if it's not critical race theory, it's consistent with the precepts of critical race theory. In other words, America bad, America racist. And so you've got, as you've indicated, the Chase of Bodines and Larry Krasner's and Kelly in a... Philadelphia, the Kim Foxes in Chicago, uh, the guy in, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but just became um, the attorney, uh, the uh, city attorney for New York City. Uh, all these folks are cut from the same cloth. They all have been funded by the Soros and or similar organizations, and they've been about releasing criminals. Now, um, Steve Loomis knows this. Every cop in the city of Cleveland knows this. Most cops everywhere understand this. These are not political prisoners. I remember one of my good friends used to be a sheriff in Cook County, Illinois, and he used to tell me that he said, you've got to try hard to go to prison. I mean, you know, it's not a cavalier effort. You've got to try hard to get to prison. And he told me this 40 years ago before the current craziness when we've got all these liberal judges and prosecutors. So there are no political prisoners there. This has nothing to do with racism or anything. We're bending over backwards for criminals. And as a result, they're taking advantage of us. Criminals don't have a, a, the, the kind of consciousness as, oh, they're being very nice to us. So I'm not going to rob this guy. I'm not going to burglarize this place. I'm not going to shoot this individual. They're not making judgments like that. And let's face it, the majority of cr- criminals out there are not, you know, necessarily rocket scientists. They're acting on impulse. And the impulse that they've been driven by is that the, the, there's this message that's been sent, and not very subtly anymore, that society is bad and society is responsible for all the bad things that they did, so they may as well go ahead and do it. They've been deprived somehow of their just desserts by a racist society. So go make up for it by, you know, robbing somebody and getting your money there because you've been deprived of that money or doing whatever it may be. There's a license, an unstated license that's been granted to thugs because of this. And this is not a nice thing to say, but it's the truth. And cops are being villainized. You you have um, attrition in almost every major metropolitan police force and who can blame them they're not getting any support whatsoever they're being um portrayed as villains they're the bad guys 
And it's easy for members of elite media and some politicians to characterize them as such because they don't live in the neighborhoods that are effective. Al Sharpton, of course, is now making a pivot and saying, hey, we've got to listen to these people. The ordinary people, they don't like what's going on here. You and I have been talking about that for the last couple of years. In my neighborhood, you go talk to responsible citizens in my neighborhood, across the street from me, next door to me, talk to those individuals, and I've said this forever on your program, not one of them says defund the police to a person. They say, we want more cops. Heather McDonald has done an extensive study on this, and he, she saw the exact same thing in a number of jurisdictions. Yep. Not rocket science. We know this, but unfortunately, we have to repeat it because so many people seem to ignore it or forget it. You know, uh, Pete, you're exactly right. By the way, when you talk to people in my neighborhood, which is a far, you know, half hour outside yeah. west side suburb, um, we talk about we're not going into Cleveland at night. It doesn't affect us because we don't live there, but we're not going there to let it affect us. And that impacts, of course, the economy of the city and and, and ultimately of the entire region of northeast Ohio. So that part people need to understand. It impacts people outside of the city limits of the urban centers as well. Um, Yeah, Bob, you you guys are just racist. That's all. (laughs) That's all. That's that's what it is. Pete, um, uh, you mentioned the New York City DA, uh, uh, Alvin Bragg. I just want to read this quick uh, clip or this this piece uh, in which he pledged when he took over to reduce both violence and incarceration simultaneously <laughs> on his third day in office he sent a memo stressing diversion and alternatives to incarceration such as crisis intervention programs instead of sending some criminals to jail the no jail time exceptions are murder a crime that involves someone's death but hold that thought or a felony uh, other serious uh, crimes such as cases of armed robbery they're being reduced to misdemeanors and also, this is where I said, hold that thought. While murders will still be result in incarceration if they get convictions, he vowed. Oh, thank goodness. He he vowed sentences limited to twenty years for all crimes, including murder convictions. Uh, also, not prosecuting trespass offenses, uh, resisting arrest, not prosecuting resisting arrest, which means beat the hell out of the cop trying to arrest you and get away, and they can't do anything. Uh, subway and bus fare beating, and also sex work. He also reduced charges for stealing from stores or from home storage areas and reduced charges for drug dealing. Now, Pete, I, I get the the second part of his two-pronged approach here. He said he wanted to reduce both violence and incarceration. He's going to reduce the incarceration. Violence, not bloody likely. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, we think that this is just sheer stupidity, and there's a significant element of that, but it's also ideology. They actually believe in this stuff, and they don't care. That's the, the point. They think America and Americans deserve this. So New York City is going to turn or descend further into the sewer. We all already have seen a mass exited from New York City. New York City is a great city, and if you've gone there, you know, if you went there, say, 10 years ago, especially during the Giuliani uh, era, it was a decent place to be. But People are fleeing from New York, mainly going to places like Florida and other Republican-held uh, jurisdictions. Yeah. And it's going to it's, – it's, it's, it's incredible. You go through the subway systems there. You go – no one feels safe. As Americans, regardless of whether or not you pay taxes, because now we're getting to a point where our labor is paying taxes anymore. As Americans, we do not deserve this. 
And we should hold our politicians accountable. And frankly, let's hold one another accountable. Our school systems are teaching the kind of drivel that necessarily results in the kind of attitude that you see from an Alvin Bragg and Kim Fox and others. Our institutions are peddling this nonsense. One of the reasons why I think a lot of parents intuitively understand the danger of critical race theory is that the critical race theory perpetuates this kind of insanity that we're seeing here. It excuses the kind of conduct that's led to this crime wave. And and if we have more and more of that, we're going to be educating an entire generation of kids. We're going to turn out to be predators. I, I'm, I don't mean everybody. It's not, you know, I don't mean to exaggerate, but we see the deprecation that we're having right now. It's only going to get worse, both through the pipeline well, and those individuals who are charged with making sure that it doesn't get worse. We're going to need to talk a little bit more about CRT and the 1619 Project and how they relate. Take two minutes talking about that because the 1619 Project is experiencing a resurgence. It is finding its way into more curricula around more schools across the country, despite bipartisan efforts to debunk its fiction. Um, Can you give us two minutes on that and then we'll talk more on the other side? Yeah, let me just give you a discrete aspect to that. One of the reasons why it continues to metastasize throughout our school system is because if you go to, and I wrote an article about this about a year ago in The Federalist, if you go to our teachers' schools, uh, either the teachers' colleges or the majors, what you have found that the curricula in those places, to a large extent, has been in used with not just critical race theory, but leftism generally, but definitely critical race theory. New teachers coming out, and they're churning them out like an assembly line, are completely uh, immersed in the, the CRT philosophy and that America is essentially racist. And it, it, it was compounded by, you know, we mentioned George Floyd. There's this zeitgeist that everybody with a brain has seen, that you're not supposed to say certain things, that you must say other things, and that, in fact, we must bow our heads and understand that America is inveterably racist, and almost everything related to the educational system must be centered around countering that, even if it's math or science. And this kind of poisonous ideology, it, you know, anyone who's been alive for more than 20 years, you don't, you don't take courses on this, you just know that it's human nature, that if you have an atmosphere like that, an atmosphere that's championed by the elites and our institutions, it's going to result in bad things, multiple bad things. And among those bad things are increases in crime. It's going to happen. If you have, it's, it's kind of a philosophical broken windows theory. And that is that if society is not worth preserving, it is, if it's so inveterably racist, then what's the big deal about maybe breaking a window or maybe breaking a window and then maybe stealing something out of that window or maybe breaking somebody's leg? And there's this kind of progression that occurs. Very smart people from Edward Banfield to you name it, Thomas Sowell, have talked about this kind of progression. And it's something that we all intuitively knew when we were growing up as kids. We understand what happens. You don't mow the lawn pretty soon something else falls apart. And here, this is what's happening on a broad-based, systemic basis in our educational system. It, It can't end well. The reason I brought up the 1619 Project and its uh, revival, if you will, and not that it ever really went away, but it's being spread more and metastasizing, I think that's the best way to put it, as you did. Uh, An article uh, on Fox from a couple of days ago, why schools adopted the 1619 Project as curriculum when it was full of historical errors. And it focuses a lot on the teachers' unions. Randy Weingarten, the Mm -hmm. union president of the AFT, denied that the project peddles falsehoods, quote, 
all of a sudden you're hearing people who are trying to ban the 1619 Project because it is trying to actually teach a factual version of oppression in America, end quote. Uh, and Pete, you've done, you've debunked so much of this. You were on the 1776 Commission, obviously, President Trump's commission to, um, you know, essentially restore the factual history of the United States and to push that into schools. Uh, but it's not just you. You know, you call yourself to the right of Genghis Khan. Well, or Attila the Hun, excuse me. Wrong, uh, wrong marauder. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. But, but you know, I mean, it's it's leftists, too. There are liberals who are saying, yeah, we understand the intent here, but no, that's not accurate. No, that's not right. That's false as well. The entire thing is a work of fiction, Pete. And yet the teachers' union seem to have huge sway in getting it put into some of America's largest public school districts. Yeah, there's a symbiotic relationship. It tells you something that they're doing this when they know that the 1619 Project is rife with errors and distortions, and of the most profound kind, claiming that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery. I mean, that, that's just most, it's like saying the moon is made out of cheese. It's just, it's, but it's worth, it's got a more pernicious element to it. That said, understand what goes on here, and, and I know you do and much of your audience does, but I'm simply saying that rhetorically. The teachers' unions are hand-in-hand hand with the Democratic Party and the left generally. Yeah. They promote one another. They fund one another. The fact is that when we had Attorney General Garland, and you know I was on Fox talking about this, um, asking that his Justice Department or directing his Justice Department to focus on parents, parents, who attended school board meetings because those, these parents were alarmed by the very radical teaching that was going on in their schools. By the way, the abysmal results coming from those schools in terms of the actual core curriculum, math, English, science, etc., not to mention a whole host of other disciplines, and they're focusing on things that uh, disparage the United States of America or various uh, races in the United States of America. This is part of an overarching project. Now, you know, Bob, you know, we've been doing this for a while, and if we had said this even as little as, say, six, seven years ago, people would be scratching their heads and they would say, well, this is conspiracy theory. It's no longer conspiracy theory. They're very open about what they're doing, and they don't care. They've got the complicity of the media. I think what happened is we saw a significant change in the manner in which the left is operated generally. Uh, during and after the Trump era, it almost is, it's almost as if it broke the left and they decided to abandon most pretenses and, and they didn't care so much about covering up what they're up to. They still do that, believe me, just as Biden's talking about ghost guns rather than the real causes. But nonetheless, they are just overtly doing things that are, are incredible and it's going to redound to their detriment as we saw with Glenn Youngkin. In uh, Virginia, we're going to see it again in a number of other jurisdictions where they're promoting not just critical race theory, but this radical gender ideology. Uh, Parents are up in arms. Uh, But understand that this is coordinated, it's purposeful, it's malignant, and they're going to continue to do this unless it's stopped. And the teachers' unions are just one of them. Uh, If you look at some of the mailings from teachers' unions to the various constituents, which I have, it's, it's truly extraordinary. You start to ask yourself, what is going on here? What about the fact, what, what are we doing in terms of actual, actual pedagogy? As I've mentioned several times on your show, we're either 38th or 39th in the world in terms of math instruction. That's where we score. 38, the United States of America is not first, it's not second, it's not even third, it's 38th or 39th. And yet we're focusing on 
critical race theory. We're focusing on gender ideology. We're not doing the things necessary to get those kids who are in the Baltimore schools that you and I have discussed with a 0.1 average and still are qualified for the top half of their class. This is an abomination. It's criminal what's happening, and we must hold these people to account. Now, it's easy for me to talk because I haven't run for school board, but I would nonetheless encourage anybody out there who is similarly motivated, who has the time to do it, or even if you don't have the time, make the time, uh, run for these, these offices. One of the mistakes that I think we as conservatives made over the years, uh, up until recently, is that we've been focused on national elections or on congressional elections. And the left, very smartly, and i got to give Soros credit and those like him, they were focused um, at a more local level. And we found out that prosecutors, local prosecutors, school boards, have phenomenal power to shape public discourse in the direction in which we're going. Conservatives are a little bit late to that, but we are now getting our boots on, and we have to do so, and we have to run vigorously to, to take over or take back these institutions and drive us back to sanity. We can't continue along these lines. 1619 Project is fundamentally anti-American. That's the key. Whether it's ahistorical, which it is, is not so much the... the um, effort here on the part of its proponents, it's to undermine the United States of America. If I had said that 10 years ago, I should have been fitted with a tinfoil hat. Not anymore. We may be actually understating it. And what's important also, Bob, and I've done this a number of times on your show, is I want to repeat for everybody out there, because I know a number of your, your listeners, and these are some of the most motivating, motivated people around. Remember your index card where you have your contact information for your elected representatives. Embellish it. Put more people on there, such as people at the school board, whether it's the state school board or your local school board, so you've got that contact information readily available, and give them the what for every single time you see something that displeases you. In addition to that, remember your congressional representatives. Give them a hard time. Call them daily. Do that. If you've got, if you've got five minutes, nothing, left, nothing better to do, you're watching the weather on television, pick up the phone, give them a call. Remember that index number. Congressional uh, switchboard, 202-224-3121. I've committed it to memory because I call them virtually every day. <laughs> 202-224-3121. And it's it's therapeutic, among other things. If you can call and give somebody the what for it, it's actually, you know, vent yourself, you'll feel a lot better about it. But it's imperative that we just, you, know, you can also go to their websites, you know, www.house.gov. If you go there, you can find your congressional representative, whoever that may be, and do the same thing for the Senate, www.senate.gov. Very simple. And what I would urge you to do, let me shift real quickly, Bob, because there's so many huge items out here that I know we're not going to be able to get to. And one of them, of course, is immigration. I just, simply, I just sent a letter to to Mayorkas, excoriating him on this and detailing all the stats on this. It's extraordinary what's going on here. This is a fundamental obligation of the executive branch of our government to secure the border. As Tucker Carlson says, if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. And yet we're seeing literally millions of people flooding in. Contact Mayorkas. Contact these individuals and tell them, enforce the border. Um, they are committing crimes that, that is both our federal officials and the people coming across the border at an astonishing level. They are sucking resources properly that should be properly devoted to American citizens, and they are being favored in ways that Americans are being punished by their elected representatives. This is unforgivable. This is a basis for impeachment. The the president is supposed to take care to faithfully enforce the laws of the United States of America, and his fundamental obligation is to, to secure the uh, uh, border, 
not doing it. This is why, after two fake prosecutions for impeachment, we have a legitimate basis for impeachment. We don't do it cavalierly. We don't do it willy-nilly. This mandates impeachment. So when the Republicans take over, I don't, it's not theater. They have to discharge their constitutional obligations because people are out there, they're mad as hell, and they're not taking it anymore. Well, you're going to have to twist the speaker's arm, as you know, uh, because Kevin McCarthy has said he is not going to be interested in pursuing impeachment and weaponizing impeachment the way the Democrats. Yeah, do. surrender so. at, from the very beginning. Just yeah. surrender just, from the yeah, beginning. Just, yeah, he made that announcement. He really did. Pete, I want to pivot. We don't have a ton of time here, but uh, great insight, by the way, and info on all of the above. But I want to pivot to... Um, This story from Philadelphia, where Philadelphia has become the first major American city who had lifted a mask mandate, uh, recognizing that COVID is is on its way out. And this is not something we can we can hamper and and, and interfere with people's lives for anymore, because it's simply not that much of a problem. Philly is the first major city to reverse itself after just five weeks of mask free living. uh, They are reinstating the indoor mask mandates as of April 18th. And this line just got to me from the city health commissioner, Cheryl Bedigal. Starting today, we're asking businesses to dig up those masks, excuse me, to dig up those masks required signs and start hanging them in your windows. Beginning Monday, April 18th, our health inspectors will begin enforcing the mask mandate again. End quote. And Pete, what got me about that is that's right. They all do still exist. The signs, the masks. Everything is ready to pull them out of the limited storage that they were in and get ready to go again. And my thought was, Philly is first. They won't be the only. There's going to be another big city and another big city. And my, my, my feeling is, this is the beginning of the theft of the 2022 midterm elections. Yeah. Philly, L.A., Chicago, Cleveland, and on and on and on. Oh, mask, 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 mask. COVID's back. There's another There's another variant or a sub-variant. It's causing a lot of problems. They've, they're welding people into their homes in Shanghai again, by the way. Uh, we're not doing that, but we're just asking you to mask. We don't want you to be gathering large crowds. And, oh, by the way, after a few months of this, Peter, they're going to say we can't ask people to gather in large crowds in lines on Election Day. Universal mail-in balloting once again, 2.0, here we come. Am I just reaching here, or is this Philadelphia first step just that, a first step? You're not, you're not reaching at all. We've had five years now of overt activity on the part of the left and the media, but I repeat myself, to construct a hegemony on the part of the left. And we saw with the 2020 election what mail balloting and all the other loosening of restrictions, many of which were unlawful, by the way, and what that did to give Democrats an advantage. And they're going to try to replicate that. Now, what's interesting is we now have two years' worth of empirical data as to whether or not these efforts actually have any kind of utility, whether or not they actually work. And that data doesn't support what they're doing. It's truly extraordinary. We just had, just this last week, a study issued that showed that the states that acted more normal than other states, in other words, they had uh, only temporary mask mandates or didn't have any mask mandates at all, they didn't have the type of restrictions that many of the more um, uh, liberal states had with respect to vaccines and uh, proof of, of vaccines before you enter certain establishments, Florida, Texas had the best outcomes. 
The worst outcomes, California, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois. And by outcomes, I mean the number of people who got sick, the number of people hospitalized, the number of people uh, who died, and also the economic impacts of these lockdowns and the mask mandates. So we're going to do this stupid stuff all over again for what purpose? Well, the purpose is for electoral advantage. That's the only legitimate purpose that you could have after everything else has been proven, has demonstrably shown to be deleterious to economy, to individuals, to enterprise, everything. So, yeah, I mean, what's what's the, you know, it's amazing we are called conspiracy theorists when for the last five years, all of, of our alleged conspiracies have proven true. So it's, really done. Uh, it's really an amazing thing to watch. And these people keep going back to the same devices over and over and over again because they haven't addressed all of the problems over which they have control. In fact, those problems have been exacerbated as a direct result of their policies. Yeah. Among the things that's extraordinary is the strains of the coronavirus that we currently see are mainly resulting in you know, illnesses that are not much worse than a cold. You have reduced hospitalizations by significant margin, reduced deaths by a significant margin, and we're going to be locking down again? It doesn't make any sense. But the problem is a number of the smarter Democrats are figuring out that, yeah, we need this electoral advantage because we've really screwed the pooch with respect to the economy and everything else, and we see that there's going to be a red wave. But by the same token, if we redouble the lockdown efforts and the mask mandates, we may be exacerbating the very problem that is our electoral problem because people are rejecting it. They're rebelling against it, even in blue districts. They're doing exactly that, uh, Peter Kersenow, and uh, this is this is our concern. This has got to be our fight right now. By the way, they have the name for the new variant. It's called Midtermicron. Midtermicron is expected to peak in, uh, <laughs> it's expected to peak in October, late October, early November, and they're going to recommend that everyone uh, stay away from crowds uh, when Midtermicron hits. All right, hey, Bob, Peter. one more point of personal yep. privilege. I'm, I'm resuming Kersenow for one play, as you know. So <laughs> everybody out there, please go to the Browns website. You know, go to Cleveland Browns.com, Kersenoff for one play, 6'2", 215, wide receiver, can bench press 18 times, will put me in fourth place at the combine. I may not be as fast as I used to be, but I will catch whatever's thrown to me, and I'm mean as sin. I would love to see it, my friend. Thank you, Peter. Take care, Bob. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.